Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals, this is your host, Eric Lemos. Mansplain Yourself is a podcast that tries to answer the question, what does it mean to be a man? Each culture has its own concept of what is quote-unquote masculine, and whether we acknowledge it or not, patriarchy, or some variation of it, has contributed to all of our individual identities. Exploring the pains and triumphs of trying to reject or conform to those standards bring us closer to answering, what does it mean to be a man? Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome to another episode of the Mansplain Yourself podcast. I am your host, Derek Lemos, and today on the podcast, I've got another special guest for you. Yes, I'm talking to you. He is an actor, he's a performer, he's a dancer, and an all-around swell guy. Please welcome to the show, Dave Child. Yeah, thank you. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How about you? It's been it's been a wild ride, but I'm 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 hanging on with both hands and then when it comes time to take your picture, I'm gonna put my hands up and close my eyes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Like <laughs> put my hand I'm gonna put my hands up like I'm drinking tea. <laughs> and just look like I'm enjoying it. I loved it because like you had you had gone to Disneyland with a couple of your friends yeah. and they had taken some Instagram videos uh-huh. and it was like you screaming on every yeah. single ride, regardless of which one it was. Yeah. And it was one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, I like that video a lot because I was on a comedy troupe with those guys in college. Uh-huh. So when they came here, we just got the urge to just make like a video, <laughs> even though he has his like baby with him and everything. And I'm just screaming out. I was good. Yeah, I want to make another one of those. <laughs> just a screamer on Disneyland. Well, it was great. So the reason I wanted to have you on today is is like you are somebody who like so your your dance troupe Liquid Feet. Uh, you've been on a couple different things like America's Got Talent and the the remake of the Gong Show. Um, there's there's something really really awesome about seeing you be silly and but also be like very coordinated and talented. Yeah, um, and also a large guy. Yeah, which is, I think yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's like I am a terrible dancer. I don't like doing it. <laughs> And like, I cheer you on with with like full vigor whenever I see Logan be perform because yeah. it's just kind of like, oh, you're doing that thing I never want to do. <laughs> yeah, well, we always try to say like, uh, what we're doing is trying to dance the best we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And it's strange because we're a comedy dance troupe, but we're just dancing the best we can to maybe some strange song choices. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like. Just trying to dance and just trying your hardest to dance is entertaining enough. And if you miss a few steps, it's still entertaining. And yeah. it's still, that's where kind of the comedy comes in. Yeah. But you never want to force missing a few steps. Yeah, because then actually, it's not genuine. Yeah, actually want to do it. Yeah. So. Well, I wanted to have you on because of that. And, and, and like you are pretty vocal on on social media you know during during the run-up to the election you're kind of like hey guys uh um uh this thing this, this thing isn't great this thing isn't good yeah. you guys you, you guys you guys gonna do something about this and i i appreciate it you're just you know you try to be a good ally and you know like right that's that's nice to hear because i feel like i'm very i'm quiet compared to like uh-huh. obviously you uh-huh. but also some of my other friends but i feel like when it's important you can't not say something. You well, gotta do something. Yeah, and but not and everybody does. Yeah, I guess. But that's also like the very least I could do. Yeah. Is just be like, hey, I think this guy might be bad. <laughs> you know, Trump, I'm not a fan. 
Is that enough to say? Good, I've done my activism for the day. Time, Time to for go me back to punch to out silly dancing. <laughs> no, but it, it, it for for me like there are so many there's so many things that like we can potentially be shamed for just as like bigger men, right. and being silly is kind of one of them. Like I think Chris Farley's kind of the embodiment of being that big silly guy, but right. you know, as yeah. if you've watched anything on him, like he had a lot of problems. Yeah. So for you, I just wanted to like to Let's kind of touch base. Well, <laughs> <laughs> partially, but but also like like really just kind of figure out like how did you become this awesome silly boy that you are today? Right. So you are from Massachusetts, yeah. Uh huh. Um, what part of Mass? Did I'm you part, I, I grew up in Bolton, Massachusetts, uh-huh. which is about it's uh, halfway between Worcester and Boston. Okay, I know exactly where that is. A lot of people go there to pick apples. Well, it's apple country. Uh-huh. That's what it's mostly famous for. The only other thing I know that it's famous for is a very racistly named cat is from there in oh, no. an H.P. Lovecraft uh, <laughs> story, which kind of implies that it's right by Arkham, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. But there was like, it's a cat named N-Word Cat. Oh, who no. basically comes from Bolton, Massachusetts. And I'm like, good. Good to see. Good to see how Bolton, my Massachusetts town. Massachusetts in the house. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Shout not that out. way. Woo-woo. <laughs> but yeah, it's a very small town. Mm-hmm. And it's... um. It's a really nice town, but it's also very much a bubble like yeah. in, in what it is. Yeah. It's a very, like, just very white suburban, rural, like, bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you, uh, do you have siblings? Yeah. I'm an older brother. Uh-huh. So it's just you years older. Yeah, I'm the younger one. He's the scientist. Mm. He's putting medicine into viruses. Mm-hmm. So the viruses can go, like, straight to where they're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Rather than go through your bloodstream through like medication and stuff, that's what he's working on. So if if there's a monster that develops, like, <laughs> yeah, this is how Raccoon City. Got yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the plot of uh, Planet of the Apes, actually. So it's like, okay, all right, this is gonna turn out fine. Yeah. Do you guys get along? Did you guys get along when you were little? Yeah, I mean, we went through a. You're my big brother. I'm the little brother phase. Yeah. But we we did get along. We had like. He kind of, he was, it was very obvious he was the smart one. Mm -hmm. And everything I do, even now, I do because he dabbled in it Mm -hmm. and then kind of went somewhere else. So he was in the comic books. So I got into comic books. He wrote a play in freshman year. He wrote a play sometime in, in high school. And I remember he couldn't put it on because it had like, it had some weird story aspects on it, uh-huh. and so he couldn't actually end up doing it. I think it involved lesbians and Hitler, but I'm not too <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I could be, he could hate that I'm saying something about this, but he wasn't able to put it on. But I'm like, writing a play, that's such a good idea. Yeah. So I started writing plays in high school, and I wrote like three plays. One of them was about like uh, Star Wars fans putting on a musical. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek fans trying to stop the musical from happening. That's funny. And then it ends with a dance number where uh-huh. they're doing like, they're dancing to music from Star Wars. <laughs> and it was just a one act play, and we put it up on the like class plays where uh-huh. every single class like competes. And it won. And then the next year, I did one about death. Uh-huh. I did one about like this kid finds out he's going to die 
or his life is going to end as he knows it in like a year. So he just tries to do everything on his bucket list like that year. And then it turns out like his friend dies yeah. instead. And that's how his life changes because yeah. I'm in high school. The, yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to yeah. say, if you don't write about death and, and you're in high school, like you're not a, you're not, you're not a oh, real high schooler. I would fully into it because my third play <laughs> was about uh, death. Uh, a waiting room in the uh-huh. afterlife and there's and it's a clown <laughs> and a clown is there who has tattooed clown makeup on his face because his parents horrifying yeah his parents always wanted him to be a clown just <laughs> like him so they force him and a priest with a limp and it turns out the priest got someone pregnant in high school and it went wrong and that's why he has all this guilt and then a little kid that turns out to be satan mm. who's waiting in high school it was it was kind of a advanced play for like high school yeah. but also now famous comedian chris fleming played uh <laughs> Played the clown in that in that like play itself, <laughs> and he broke his leg like a week before we went on. So then he had to become the priest. No, he still remained the the clown. It just became a clown with a real limp, with a priest <laughs> with a fake limp in the play. Anyways, it's uh so he's I that's why I started writing, mm-hmm. and then my brother also he was kind of a quiet guy like he was a nerd and into the nerd stuff and then one we had these lip sync performances in high school where people would go up and they would lip sync a song Mm. so you're not original james corden yeah take that they stole from the show by high school (laughs) and he went up and he did he came up in a suit and then did like the best lip sync performance a baby got back Uh And it blew everyone's mind because all of a sudden this quiet guy just like erupted on stage and it drove everyone insane. So it made me go like, yeah, I want to do that. Uh (laughs) I want to do what he's doing just like all the time. So I started doing that stuff. Yeah. So so I'm, I'm the oldest out of my family and my brother is about two and a half years younger than me. And like there was a little bit of that where he was like kind of my shadow. Yeah. But I remember after a certain point, we just like went just complete different directions uh-huh. like he right now i think he's bartending and I, I like barely drink anymore but that that aside like did you did you kind of see him and it was just kind of like my brother's fucking cool man i like i see the the kind of responses that he's getting and it's like i, I want that for me though yeah yeah i i, I kind of I did that, and I saw what he was getting, and so I went for it. But at the same time, he only did it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then he would go back to his studies, and he would go back to... Uh, and I kind of wanted to live in that world. like So I formed a band, and yeah. I had like all that, and I did the performance. And it was very clear in my family. It was like, oh, this is... <laughs> he's the performance guy. He's mm-hmm. the art guy. And then Matt's going to be the uh, the scientist, mm-hmm. and then he went off and became a scientist. Is actually mur- earning money. Did and they? Then I'm out here. Well, were they um, were they supportive of that? Oh, very supportive. Oh. It's actually, I think, probably too supportive. <laughs> they were like, they were, especially when I started writing. Yeah, they really liked the idea of me becoming a writer, and that that was great and i recently found like old videos of like high school performances uh-huh. and it's great to hear my mom and dad being like telling people to sit down if they stand that's up in wonderful. front of it's like sit down that's a son up there <laughs> yeah but they were super supportive and it was great and they were actually like my family's funny because we're wasps uh-huh. so we have this like 
don't talk about it. Yeah. But also we're here for you if mm-hmm. we have to be. But don't be <laughs> like, you know, it's just, I'm gonna I'm gonna show up to support you. I just won't tell you that you did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Well, like my one of my favorite stories, and I talk about this on stage, but like this is like the talks that I had. I had uh-huh. two talks and they were both from my mom, but my dad never said anything. Yeah. But like one of them is from when I, I remember being a real little kid, like maybe first or second grade, getting an erection, not knowing what it is, mm-hmm. bringing it to my parents and being like, what's Something's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something's going wrong. And my mom said, you slept on it funny. And that was <laughs> and that was the first talk. That was it. That was it for that talk. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm uh, going to try to figure out how to sleep on things funny. <laughs> and then the next time I was in... It might have been high school, but it might have also... I think it was just middle school at that time. Because I was also doing... I was also Smee in a production of Peter Pan. And mm. I shaved the top of my head and put on lipstick for it. So I think it made my parents being like, hmm. So my mom was like, you know, if you, you could tell us. If you ever have like a girlfriend, you could tell us. And then uh-huh. there was a pause. Or a boyfriend. That's very progressive. And I was like, thanks, Mom. I'm I'm straight, uh-huh. but thank you for that. I was like, well, you do a lot of drama. Uh-huh. You do a lot of drama. And it was like, oh, that's that's very nice. It's <laughs> very nice and progressive. I, I love... Uh, so, one of my favorite things is the Boston accent. And I just love that you like jump straight into your mom, just, just oh, throwing yeah. it out there. I, I might have not even... <laughs> she doesn't even have a Boston accent, but I think when I do a mom uh, voice, I tend to like slip into it, because I think it's funnier. It is funnier. She's from California, so she doesn't <laughs> have it at all. But my mom... My, my, and my dad was from Connecticut, so it has this kind of like... Yeah, I think I just have that American accent. Mm-hmm. But except I say idea sometimes. Idea, yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah. So like, so you start doing all these things, and were you you were friends with Chris Felling at the time? Yeah, he was younger than me actually. Mm. So we were. Uh, I was uh, like two two years ahead, and then he came into high school, and it was very clear that he was going to be the next weirdo yeah. and the silly person. I think he got it worse than I did because I think the bullies that were in my school were like of my grade uh-huh. and I'm big enough that like no one really bugged me or if they did, I like threatened to kiss them yeah. or something. Yeah. Like there was like the lead bully who was picking on everyone. No one really liked, he wasn't popular, mm-hmm. but he was like the bully of the group. His name came right after mine in like graduation uh-huh. lineup so I was joking about how I was going to like get my award and then just kiss him on the face. And I have a distinct memory of him being like, Dave, Dave, I heard you're going to make out with me. You're going to make out with me at like at high school when, like when we graduate. I was like, yeah, I was thinking about it. He's like, don't, <laughs> please don't. And I was like, all right, man. Okay, I won't. And it was just enough to be like, yeah. I don't need to make this guy, I don't need to have this like moment. He never really was that bad to me, but he was he was bad to other people. And it was like, Chris was also very, he was popular in his own like kind mm-hmm. of world because he was already kind of this comedic genius kind of back there. But I was the, I was, 
I think I was the like, well, I'll show you how to be funny. I'll yeah. show you how to do this. My drama awards had like a best Fleming competition, and I won the best Fleming competition. Oh, that's great. I beat him and his sister at the best <laughs> Fleming. I'll so, never let him forget. <laughs> so, you're, so you're this teenager who is like starting to perform and write plays. Yeah. And, but I didn't think mm-hmm. it's very important that I was I was doing lip syncs and stuff, mm-hmm. and I was writing. I didn't think I was going to be able to be an actor or anything. Oh, why not? Because I wasn't cast in anything. Mm. Like, I, if I was cast in any of the drama stuff, the best role I had was Sitting Bull in Any Get Your Gun. Mm-hmm. And for that, I thought it would be, for some reason, less racist if I w- wore self-tanner mm. every single day. So my skin was just orange all the time. <laughs> and I didn't want to put on, like, yeah, brown, brown face. face. So I thought, like, this way I don't have to put on brown face. I'm just, I just look like Donald <laughs> Trump 24-7. So, like, I wore it. That's when I also went to Emerson for my Emerson, like, preview uh-huh. thing. And I went with giant hair and just orange skin, and everyone thought I was a weirdo, and it was great. Anyways, but that was the best role I had. Other than that, I got security guard. I got, mm. like, you know shark number five or something i got you know all these small roles because i was still a chubby kid and i was probably overacting too because i usually did that back then but i just didn't think performing was a thing for me until i got to college Uh, and so what changed i joined uh my friend was in a college comedy troupe called chocolate cake city uh-huh. my friend pat who was actually pat de nicola who was in that video you were talking about okay he's the one with the baby and he was he basically told me that i should join and i was like i don't know i that sounds really fun something like i've always wanted to do but i didn't think i was a performer i thought it was like a writer yeah and that was the only way i was going to be able to like yeah get be heard be heard or be creative or something and then i started doing that that comedy troupe and it just like i loved it and i just ate it up i was still like you know if people didn't laugh i just was louder yeah i was basically just trying to be chris farley but it was like it was where i decided of like oh i'm actually like acting and i'm actually not that bad at it uh-huh. i started doing like plays like uh i did a play in college and then after college i just kind of kept pursuing that mm. well you're still doing a lot of it today and like so you know like this is the point that i wanted to bring up so you know you mentioned that you were you weren't getting these lead roles you were getting cast as like you know yeah. number five and uh chair yeah <laughs> you know how it's, chair was great yeah theater, people said it'll be the entire time theater can be really tough but you know as you've gotten older like i you know i'm seeing more or some of the the things that you're being cast in and, you know, there was one where they had you, like, just be creepy. And then there was another one where your character was just, like, slob. Yeah. That's been something I've had to kind of face. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting because at, when you're a big guy, you tend to... There tends to be, like, you realize that people want to exploit your body... Not as much, but it makes me realize a little bit about what it's like to be a woman because uh-huh. people want to get your shirtless and dancing as soon as soon as possible. They yeah. want to like get you use use at least your bigness for the comedic purposes. Uh-huh. And I mean, I'm in a dance troupe, so like yeah. I can't be totally say I don't do that. But what I like to do is get that initial reaction of, oh, here's a big guy in short shorts. Yeah. But then, oh, he's actually kind of good at this. Yeah. 
and oh, there's something else going on, and you kind of. And I think a lot of people who feel like they can't dance and feel like they're overweight would see me and feel like not see me as someone who's exploiting that, mm-hmm. but someone who's kind of celebrating it. Yeah. And that's what I kind of tend to go for. But I do have to get like, <sighs> recently, there's a short that came out that they wanted me for. Mm-hmm. And the short is, I'm not going to, I'm going to be a little vague about it sure, because it sure, did sure. Get, no, end up fine. getting made. And I had a really good discussion actually with the director afterwards uh-huh. and the writer. But the concept of the short, I won't say why, because that'll give away what the short is, but you couldn't see my face at all uh-huh. in it. So I it had was like just your body. I had something over my head the entire time. Uh-huh. So it was just my body. There was a nude scene in it. Uh-huh. And the way that the script described a large body, I found very offensive. Yeah. So it said stuff like, instead of he goes to the bathroom, it says he hefts up his girth to to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. or something like that, to undo his pants to go to bed. So it was a lot of like hefting girth mm-hmm. and moving. And he was also belittling himself in the beginning of the short and belittling himself at the end of the short. Mm-hmm. And it was meant to show growth somehow. And I felt like I would have done it. I don't mind the fact that he's in a bad place in the beginning yeah. as long as he realizes he doesn't need to be in a bad place by the end. Or he learned some lesson, or there's something there. Yeah, and I was just talking about this with somebody the other day. Like, there's a movie trailer that's that's out and making the rounds right now. Uh, Caitlin runs a marathon. Yeah, and it's kind of that same thing where it's just like she she's a woman of size, and at least from the trailer, it's kind of like your life is a mess and you're also fat. And it's like she's she makes the decision. She's like, I'm gonna get in shape and I'm gonna run a marathon, and then it suddenly becomes about like her weight loss journey and then her life changes. Yeah, her life transforms. Like right. it's like if you're well, that's the difficult thing with weight. Yeah, because there is. There, it's difficult because I feel like you can't just be like fat is beautiful, mm-hmm. fat is great. Mm-hmm. You can be fat and you'll be fine because mm-hmm. there is a healthy aspect to it, mm-hmm. and you can't forget it. So you have to live in that gray area. Because one thing I saw the same trailer, and it didn't strike me as totally fat insensitive mm-hmm. because you see that even when she becomes skinny, she becomes. She's not in a fat suit in the beginning. Yeah. She's someone who's, it looks like she's that size. Yeah. And then by the end, she's a little skinnier. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like it's like, it's not what that like Ryan Reynolds film. Yeah. Best friend. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like there's a new Marlon Wayne's thing where he's in a fat uh-huh. suit. Or the, that the, thing with the rock where, yeah. Yeah. It's not that mm-hmm. where he, they're a fat person with a, a fat body double and something, and then they become rock hard and mm-hmm. their life changes to become a better person. That actually looks like it's about someone getting healthy. Mm-hmm. But the thing about being healthy is it doesn't mean you're going to reach impossible body standards. Yeah. So you can be healthy and still big. Yeah. And there's something that I used to see a lot when I was like reading diet books and looking at stuff, which it calls like healthy fat, uh-huh. which is like, well, see, this is a problem because you're you're healthy, but you're still technically fat. So this is what we need to work on. And that's where I'm like, no, that means they're okay. Yeah. That means they're at a place where they're, you know, if you have high blood pressure, if you're in danger of getting a heart attack, you definitely need to address that. Mm-hmm. There definitely needs to be stuff where 
you can you can fight against it and something that I'm working against. Mm-hmm. But I want to be like, <laughs> so I, I instead of being super skinny, I want to be in like a good a good like health range. And so I hope the movie is like that. But mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope sure. I hope so. But it has been like an ongoing thing in media where like when um, when Jonah Hill was first starting yeah. his acting career, like that was a, a lot of the punchlines are just ha fat. Like, well, the, you could see Wayne Knight is an actor who, yes. who had like, you know, he was Newman. Uh-huh. He was in Jurassic Park. He had a hard time after he lost weight. Yeah. Like he lost weight and then he couldn't get a job because he was now skinny and mm-hmm. he wasn't. And they the knew fat him guy. as that guy. Yeah. And with Jonah Hill, you see him like a lot of people responding about his his weight is fluctuating naturally. Yeah. And that's uh, when you're a person of. A larger size, your your weight's gonna go. You're gonna go super skinny. You're gonna go. You're gonna get back to your weight. You're gonna be in the middle somewhere. So you don't quite know where his weight is from movie to movie now. Yeah, and that makes people uncomfortable because they like to be see someone of like consistent. Yeah, unless you're Christian Bale. (laughs) Unless, and I don't know how those people do it. I had like. Well, they do tremendous damage to their bodies, and that's one thing that we don't talk about. Well, they, there's also like they they do trem- yeah having gaining a lot of weight and losing a lot of weight is damaging to your body. It's going to hurt you, and you shouldn't do it for any role. Mm. I don't like him doing that for Vice is ridiculous. Yeah. Just I, when it gets to that, just like wear a fat suit. Yeah. I, I really don't mind. Like, but, or get a fat fat actor or something. But like, you don't need to be. You don't need to gain weight and lose weight like crazy in order to get a good role. But there are people that are able to control their bodies in a very, I find it impressive way because it's something mm-hmm. that I can't do. Like I went to college with these guys that like have now become pretty known actors and they used to be these huge like buff guys. Yeah, And then to the point where one of them became like Kevin Sorbo's stand-in when he first came out here okay. to LA. Yeah. He was like a big buff guy and then he realized that wasn't in fashion. So he got rid of the buffness and he just leaned into a lean muscle. Uh-huh. Like both of them. Uh-huh. I saw both of them do it and instantly they became successful like wow. as as actors. And that was around the same time where The Rock was kind of skinny. Uh-huh. Like there was a time where he yeah, wasn't he, buff. Yeah, yeah, he he was. So I, I'm a big fan of pro wrestling. Like the, you can watch The Rock's physical transformation. Yeah, and his his acting career. The same with like Dave Bautista. Right. Like any yeah. pro athlete that turns into an actor, like you can see how their musculature changes once they start like becoming mainstream actors. Right. And then usually there's a, a second shift after like 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 The Rock was big as a wrestler, like just muscle, not super tone, but just like beef. Then he slimmed down to like lean muscle. Yeah. And then, and he, then exploded. he just exploded. And now he's like the Hulk. Yeah. And then he's I think he's gonna stay the Hulk until mm-hmm. he can't maintain that anymore. So yeah, there's people that with tremendous control of their bodies and if they can use that and do it health like healthy, I think it's it's good. But there's also an aspect of weight loss that I don't think we that people don't tend to know, which is like insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like I think that is an aspect of like of weight loss that that there's an insurance side of it where people don't want to insure someone who is unhealthy, mm-hmm. who, are, who are super big. I haven't encountered that yet, but mm-hmm. like I might yeah. if I if I hit a certain level, which I'm not at yet. Yeah. So well, and so I kind of wanted to just like I kind of want to ask like how does it you know 
like the representation for for fat people has just barely started to change mm. like shrill you know is is i think a marker in that like they're slowly turning the titanic right or you know the 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 i don't want maybe not necessarily the titanic but they're slowly shifting the the perspective of yeah. what it is to be a big person it's gonna not be totally there yeah it's gonna and and i'm not quite sure it should be mm-hmm. like it i don't know if we need to be as sensitive i'm of two minds about this because mm-hmm. i feel like you do need to you do need to recognize what's happening with what you're saying what you're doing like to go back to that short i was talking about yeah i ended up not taking that short and i ended up sending an email that just says this isn't for me thank you if you want to talk about it feel mm-hmm. free but like i'm gonna pass on this and then he sent an email that we had like a very good back and forth and where i was very honest about like what i was seeing and he was saying like i'm gonna be honest i didn't notice this and now i do yeah and i suggested to him like this is already about someone who has something was happening with his head that made him already have body problems yeah (laughs) that's why you couldn't see my head throughout the whole thing because it was something on my head so i'm just like just make it so he's a regular like average body not toned but not like Mm. as big as me Mm. make it so he's like just an everyday body and he's dealing with this thing on his head that's enough yeah you don't need to focus on his weight you don't need to have fat jokes they don't need to be the center of it you don't need to have like because right now the biggest the biggest problem I find that I always talk about is like I don't understand what Rebel Wilson is doing. Yeah, like, I feel like she's on the cusp of doing something where she could talk about body positivity, yet she's in pitch perfect. She's always, always focus, focusing on her yeah. weight in a way that's just like I'm fat, Amy. Yeah, like, and I'm, that's and that's been like part of her. I don't know. I don't know if you want maybe her success, but like, yeah, uh, the same thing with Melissa McCartney. Like in Bridesmaids, like a lot of the humor is predicated on her being a big girl, and then after that is where she really starts to like deviate from. Right. I don't know if I agree with you on the Bridesmaids thing because from what I noticed, and I haven't seen it in a while. Uh-huh. So, but from what I remember of her characters, her character was more coming from she was extremely butch mm-hmm. and she was extremely like tough. And the joke was like, you know, you kind of expect her to be a lesbian and then she isn't. Mm-hmm. And then she like, but she's, it's based off her character and her weird character personas. And I'm not saying she was like making lesbian jokes the yeah. entire time, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. like kind of a, she had like a character she was leaning into. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it really maybe had some big stuff, and you can have some big sure. like jokes every now and then, but didn't rely on it. Yeah. And then afterwards, yeah, I haven't seen her do anything. She's just playing characters that are big because yeah. she's big, yeah, and she uses that, yeah. And even in in bridesmaids, she still gets a guy, mm-hmm. which is something that like you don't usually see in movies. Yeah, if the if there's a large person, they don't usually have any sort of sex to them mm-hmm. they're usually pretty asexual mm-hmm. like they're the asexual best friend who like gets goofy and then farts and then moves on yeah well um well that's one of, that's that's the primary thing that i wanted to ask you about is like just kind of like your feelings on the amount of options that are that are kind of available uh-huh. it's like because it's like you get this which isn't great you get this this isn't great so i kind of just like 
how is it kind of reflected in in you as a person and then you as a performer? Well, when I I guess when I get if I'm looking at a role or if I'm looking at like especially since I'm doing a bunch of music videos mm-hmm. that end up being like me dancing and stuff where I don't talk a lot. I have to think about what's the real joke that's happening here and can it work with a skinny person Mm -hmm. or does it have to be a fat guy? And usually I tend more towards it if it can work with a skinny person. Mm -hmm. So it just happens to be like, like I did the music video where it was, I was coming in and interrupting the performer as she was singing, and then I take over the music video. Mm -hmm. That could be any silly person. Yeah. That could be like Chris Fleming could have done that, and he's like a stick thin Mm -hmm. person. And then there's also roles that I've been getting. I did a play last year where I played like it was a it was a drama with some like comedy aspects to it, but I played like a toxic male guy, Mm -hmm. and I realized best friend. Yeah, best friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. So that was like. The role was someone who his parents and his dog died in a car accident. Mm. And then he moves in with his friend from high school who he's kind of lost touch with, but he's still kind of knows. But he moves in with him and his fiance, the fiance of the friend from high school. And the friend from the fiance is like writing for Jezebel, mm-hmm. is like working on. Gamergate stuff while he well meanwhile my character is like this guy that moves in and he's like plays video games and he's it was written in like 2014 yeah and it still it feels very 2014 because yeah. they're not talking about incel they're not talking about like Donald Trump yeah it's just on like the edge before that but I I appreciated the role because yeah, like, I'm a large guy playing, like, this toxic dude. Uh-huh. But that's okay, because it could have been a skinny guy playing yeah. a toxic dude. Yeah. It's like, it could have been, it didn't, my weight didn't play into it. But I did say something to, like, when the poster came out, that was, mm-hmm. like, a cartoon guy that was just a big guy with, like, a small head mm-hmm. on it. And I was like, why is that in the poster? <laughs> and they kind of, we kind of, it was too late at that point. But I was just like, oh, we didn't think it was a weight thing. I'm like, yeah, but it is. Uh-huh. And you kind of have to, like, you could have done any size for that guy. And it doesn't matter that this guy is big when he moves in. It does make it so I'm more of, like, an opposing force. If you're casting something, yeah, if you... If you get a big guy, you're going to get a big guy. And what big guys do, they they might not necessarily be able to do all the stuff that the skinny guy does. But uh, I don't know. I just, I, I like the role too because it was, it made me look at a specific character and a specific like mindset mm-hmm. that while it confused me, it also intrigued me because it was interesting to find the empathy to yeah. a character like that yeah. and where that character is coming from and how it's different from like, from, cause he ends up like breaking up their almost breaking up their relationship. Like really, he doesn't learn a lesson mm-hmm. by the end of the play. And I, I'm really, I really like that. Mm-hmm. I actually like that. He was someone who was on the brink of something and doesn't quite get there. And it, then it becomes about like removing your toxic friendships from your life mm-hmm. rather than like, knowing that person can change mm-hmm. but he's so close and there's moments where he's close he just is he's not putting his emotional journey in the right place yeah which is i think what is tends to happen with people that are like 
that with uh, all these people that are like creating shootings and, yeah. and all this stuff. Well, I, you know, you were. I wanted to bring up the point. Like, I don't think that there's been when we talk about those mass shooters and toxic masculinity. I don't think there's ever been one that's been fat. No, like there they're hasn't. all relatively regular, regular people. Sized, yeah, people. Yeah. Like yeah, even though I imagine that's maybe what people's image are. It's mm-hmm. like these fat white guys like who are who are getting this. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there are some that are. Yeah. Because there are probably some introverts that are sure. staying in and like, you know, fat's not fat doesn't mean you're healthy. <laughs> no, sure, sure. Well, I, so I wanted to ask like so you mentioned, you know, just like seeing this mentality. Did you did you see any of that when in like your older friendships when you were in high school? Oh um, god, yeah. Yeah. Well, there was like especially in high school you have yeah. those friends that are your friends because they're close to you uh-huh. and they're there and then afterwards i feel like in college or after high school if you don't, even if you don't go to college you tend to gain friendships hopefully that are people that are legitimately going to be there for you and legitimately identify with you yeah and you know my best friend in high school one of my best friends in high school he he was he was an asshole. Mm-hmm. He was a jerk, and I didn't realize it because he wasn't a jerk to me. And I was still pretty close with him, even though he would be like, he would still be sometimes a jerk to other people, yeah. and I didn't notice it. And it, it it took me a while to realize, like, oh, that's not healthy behavior. That's not something you can do. I wasn't. He wasn't like a jo- I don't tend to be jockey. Uh-huh. You know, he was still like an art weirdo, mm-hmm. but he was still maybe a bit like uh, severe and sort of too sarcastic on that side. But he was also trying to figure things out too. Yeah. I mean, he was also in high school. And I think there's a choice you can make, especially in your young 20s, uh-huh. where you can either go down that path of like, I'm going to keep being an asshole and keep down this path, or I can start to gain more empathy for the yeah. people around me. Well, so that, I mean, I'm glad that you brought that up. How, what helped you make that choice? The empathetic choice? Yes. I don't know. It's probably a lot of invisible things, but like, well, here's one invisible thing that I didn't realize was a thing until afterwards, which was the church I actually went to mm-hmm. was like a Unitarian church. I didn't think of it as a Unitarian church. Mm-hmm. I thought of it as like a Christian church I went to. But then we would also go for our confirmation ceremony. I would go, we would go to like a mosque. We would go to a temple, a Jewish temple. We would go to like a Buddhist temple. Mm-hmm. And then we would come back and our confirmation is to say what we believed not what we're supposed to believe. Yeah. And I that I thought that was normal. <laughs> I thought that's what Christian religion was. <laughs> and I when I like found out afterwards when I that was the good part of me being in that bubble. Uh-huh. When I found out it was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like what other Christian religions were doing. Yeah. It just didn't make sense to me. So that was like a that was a very subtle like empathetic shift that I had. Also, I had like a I had uh, a pastor that was like, he was gay, but he was in, I I call it kind of a glass closet Uh because people knew I didn't think of him as my gay pastor. I just thought of him as like the guy I liked and we hung out with. And Mm. I even spent like 
we did uh, sunset ceremonies at Easter where we'd sleep over at his house and then the next day we'd like watch the sunset. Yeah. And no one said anything about it. Yeah. And it wasn't like weird and it wasn't, he wasn't weird. He didn't do anything. It was like, it was all fine. Yeah. And people would it wasn't like the gay, the gay panic that that they were having when we were that age, where they were like, "No, they're, they're, they're Boy Scouts and they're kind of right." Around. And I was in Boy Scouts too. Yeah, and the Boy Scouts would meet in the same church, yeah. and it wasn't like I was—I guess I was lucky—but yeah. it was my Boy Scout like troop was also very accepting, and it mm-hmm. wasn't very—it wasn't super uber Christian. It was mm-hmm. a little Christian, and very. I realize now very bad when it comes to like Native American indigenous stuff, but that's Boy Scouts. Scouts. There's a lot of like white people pretending to be Native (laughs) Americans in it. That was part of the order of the arrow, but it was still like, I still learned how to like talk with other boys and meet with other kids and that weren't, that were of a different mindset than me. And, all that stuff kind of helped. And recently, after Trump got elected, I was feeling pretty down. But around that same time, my pastor had like uh, a pretty serious boyfriend uh-huh. that he was like engaged to. And then we went, we went back to church, and I saw him like do his sermon for Christmas. Was the best. I still think of it because mm. he was always like. Hi, everybody. I know it's really dark out right now. A lot of people are feeling a lot of things. I know I'm feeling pretty like low about you know who we just elected as president, mm-hmm. all this stuff. But I will have to say, Bolton, Massachusetts just had their first drag bingo night. That's wonderful. And it sold out. <laughs> and everyone was named after like streets uh-huh. in... <laughs> streets in in bolton and people loved it and white conservative bolton was all there for drag bingo night so some changes are happening and that made me feel like so good yeah because there's i I always connected with a little bit of weirdo culture at least like hedwig and the angry inch Mm. was my movie in high school it was the one i discovered and was showing to everyone Mm. what what about it what about it like connected with you I think it was just the... Because it's a fantastic film, and I love John Cameron Mitchell. Yeah, and I've been trying to think about this, because I tend to... I tend to, like, really like queer cinema. Uh And I think there's an aspect of me that's just, like... (laughs) I really kind of wish I was queer. (laughs) Because there's there's also, like, whenever I'm, like, with a group of people that have only seen me do Liquid Feet, Uh sometimes there's, like, I was hanging out with a friend and... And their uh, their friend was there, and he said, like, l- motion towards me. He's like, well, as gay men, I think we know. Yeah. And I got like, oh, this is nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I wish. It's like, oh, I'm part of the club for like oh, a second. part of the club. But I think it's also just because, and I think, so I've thought about this quite a bit, like, what is that aspect? And I think it's because I tend to draw more towards feminine, what is considered feminine, mm-hmm. like, modes of expression Mm -hmm. and feelings which is like dance camp being able to dress up being able to be weird Mm -hmm. get towards like the side of stuff that's like that it doesn't need to be it's seen as an aspect of 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 queer culture and also like and feminine culture yeah but it doesn't need to be. Yeah. And that's just like weird machismo, like locking something out that could be very fun and useful. And mm-hmm. it's something that I've, I've always thought, even like back in high school, 
I incorporated in like the way I dressed and like what I wore. I wore like a, a woman's blouse or like a shirt just like one day, mm-hmm. just because not not for a form of identity, but because it's like you can, yeah, and you'll be able to be free. To you this. know what? Thinking about that, thank you for saying that. Like that brought up a, like a very specific memory for me of high school. So like I, I when I started doing theater, that was when I had the most amount of freedom. Like, yeah. like, and it particularly like when you were saying, just like I would wear stuff to like just because. Yeah. So I, I went. There were these little vintage stores, and I grew up in Palm Springs, in and around the town. And sometimes I would have some like really wacky, funky stuff. Like I found this like belt buckle that was a Wells Fargo belt buckle from like the 1900s, like the early 1900s. And so like I bought it and I would wear it. There was this like stretchy white leopard button-down shirt mm-hmm. that I bought. And I'd wear that I one of those at too, yeah. least like once a week. Yeah. And, you know, and there was like, and this was, this was the early, early 2000s. So like, you know, there was tons of like bracelets. This was like, you know, early emo. Thinking about that, just like, and you know, like, so I painted my nails a couple of times, yeah, but I had so much shit at home for that. And that's a whole other story. But like I remember after having like after sophomore year or junior year that's when it kind of stopped and it was that's something I'm still trying to like get back in a way yeah and I know why I mean and so I've I've talked about it before sophomore it's, junior year of high school yeah 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 so it was it lasted for like a year and a half two years where I was really kind of like oh I'm going to buy this thing and wear this thing oh I was getting really excited just about like expressing myself cuz that's what you do in those years. Mm-hmm. And there was a point with my stepdad where I wasn't allowed to. You know, even though I was making my own money, it was it was he did not want his kids, even though he's my he's not my biological father, to be feminine or right. effeminate. Yeah. And so like, you know, he like forced me to play sports for a couple of years and it wasn't until I got injured that like I found theater. Like I did I did a play in 8th grade beauty and the beast and that would that kind of started i was like i like this it's fun but i mean i feel uncomfortable and then in high school when i got after i got injured i was like i don't want to do anything else this is this is amazing right yeah i mean i kind of have this belief that i feel like the there's the people that aren't allowed to when you look at the people who are allowed to express themselves the most yeah the people that have the hardest part of this, and I think this is dealing with like a lot of the stuff we're seeing today. Who are, who are the people that are shooting up stuff? Mm-hmm. Why they're shooting up stuff? Where racism is found? Where toxic masculinity, machismo is found? Is a lot of like white guys and also just straight identifying guys mm-hmm. tend to have a hard time knowing how to express themselves or how to like show that. Yeah, and so that's I think. It it's it's tough because they feel like they have to fit by certain rules and they can't go out of that in in all different ways. And so you have people like lashing out about like white pride festivals mm-hmm. or like stuff like that because they're trying to find ways to identify yeah. with who they are and express themselves and they don't quite know the healthiest way to do it. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to like they're taking the lo- the wrong lessons from from what they're seeing um people that aren't them and who tend to be 
see them as like you know the 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 people that have been at the top for yeah. so long, which is also very true. Yeah, but it also makes it so they don't know, and we I don't know how to like express that without going out of those that box. Uh-huh. And the problem is that there's no box. Yeah, there's nothing there. Yeah, you can it's express an, it's yourself. How, it's an imaginary box, and you can like express yourself however you want and then go out it's tough when you can't have like a label yeah. to put on yourself that make you that feels good but you know i even went to pottermore and found out i'm a slytherin i have to accept it <laughs> i have to accept all this well, stuff. Well, this was the sorting hat i'm assuming this was the sorting hat but i mm. did the test twice and okay. both times i'm a slytherin <laughs> i cannot escape you can't change your slytherin destiny can't it, it, just as much as i can't escape my whiteness or i can't <laughs> escape like the my straightness or uh-huh. something like that like but it doesn't mean I can. I have to follow the rules of what that is. Yeah. There's like, uh, there's, there's a lot of ways to express yourself outside of it. Even though you're that, and you don't need to to hold on to the thing that society labels you as, and try to make that your pride yeah. is what is where the problem really is. While like finding out whoever that individual is, whoever that whatever that individual likes go for it like just yeah. go outside of it yeah but it's it's also uncomfortable because it feels like you're treading into waters you don't belong into yeah well sometimes I, and that's and that is kind of that's kind of the weird fucked up thing is that like that un that discomfort is that everybody is feeling it simultaneously but for different reasons yeah so like if you're you know if you're queer if you're trans like you're feeling you're feeling that that discomfort because it's like, well, I haven't been safe. If you're a person of color, like you're like, well, I don't, you know, I may or may not fit in with my culture or what I'm, what's expected of me culturally. Yeah. You know, like, like you just mentioned right now, being like being a straight white dude, it's kind of like, well, I, I kind of maybe am into these things, but I don't. Yeah. I I can't, I can't do, do I deserve like, yeah, I wore a lot of skirts Mm -hmm. in like high school and college. Yeah. And I did it because they were comfortable. They're comfortable. They're really comfortable. They're so comfortable. They're so airy. It airs everything out. I feel like people should be allowed to wear skirts whenever they want. I did stop. And I think a big reason of that is I became... I realized it felt like I was like, well, I'm not... I don't have a a gender dysmorphia. Uh I don't have like... I don't have, I'm not doing this to express some inner yeah. thing of this. I'm doing this literally because it freaks the normies out uh-huh. and it's comfortable. Uh-huh. And I got to a feeling where I didn't feel like that was strong enough reason to do something that was breaking a social norm enough. Uh-huh. And so I haven't really worn skirts since college because of that, I think. And the same with like, but every time being an actor does give you the freedom to at least sometimes put on makeup. Oh yeah. It does give you the freedom to like want to do something. And like, I wanted to do a drag persona for a while. You absolutely should. And I really do want to do that. But also like, I do have a hesitancy to do Mm -hmm. it because I know I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I fit Mm. into that culture. Well, well, so here's like drag culture has been, uh, I obviously been historically queer, but because I don't know. I mean, I'm not speaking. I'm only speaking for me, just to be clear. Any listeners, I'm only speaking for me. It because it's been commodified in such a way, it's become so accessible. Yeah. In in that, like, it's you know, drag race is no longer just on the LGBT network. It's on you know, it's on daytime TV. Yeah. And it's become 
it's become such like a normalized thing where I don't, and again, this is just my opinion where I don't know that it, it, you have to necessarily belong to the community because like in the LGBT acronym is also an A for allies. Right. Right. But yeah, it is, but there's still like, I still have that hesitancy because that's one thing you especially get when you're trying to be as empathetic as possible. Yeah. You end up in this weird gray area where it's like, I want to do this, but I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah. Like, and it's, it is a constant battle to yeah. kind of find that. Well, I think there are, there are some people that we can kind of like just refer to. I mean, we can talk after the show. Right. So last couple questions. We ask this of everybody. So you can be as specific or as vague as you'd like. Okay. First question. Who would you like to thank for helping you become the person that you are today? Probably my brother, actually. Mm. Probably most my brother. I think he was really like, he dipped his toe into all the weirdness, and then I kind of like... Dove in. Yeah, dove in. So, especially... And I try to tell him that sometimes, but I don't always get to. So it's 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 good to say that. Mm. So he has to listen to this episode now. Yeah, no, now he does. <laughs> Even though I feel like I might have like embarrassed him at the beginning half of it, I made up for it here. <laughs> Second question: Who would you like to apologize to for any mistakes you might have made while you were still figuring that out? Oh, jeez. And again, as specific or as vague as you'd like. Well, I feel like there's there's moments, especially when you're like just figuring out how to express yourself, and I think there's also there's not there's a lot of harm can come from also that I just slept on it funny yeah. talk yeah, and sometimes when you're figuring out like what your sexuality is, I think you can tend to be a little harsh, especially when you're like 12 or 13 to the women around you. Uh-huh. So, and to the girls around you. So I always feel bad about like, about some of that. Yeah. Like I tried to be very conscious and I've always had really close female friends all my life, which I think has helped me become a better person mm-hmm. and be comfortable with like, just more around women than I am around guys often. Like I just tend more towards having female friends than guy friends. Yeah. And, and the guy friends I do have are basically lady boys that uh-huh. are like super sensitive and <laughs> have like their own thing. But, uh, I don't know. So I guess like the, probably some women I've been around when I was like mm-hmm. 12 or 13, mm-hmm. which I think every guy can kind of, say oh yeah i mean i can extend that to like my 20s <laughs> yeah but yeah yeah and there was also like a big heartbreak in my 20s that i always feel a little guilty about how mm. i how i reacted against it so yeah that's a that's another thing too but that's you know that's learning pains yeah well thank you for sharing that yeah and then last question where can people find your work yeah okay so you can go to davechild.com and then dave child you could also look up Liquid Feet, and we're all over the place. But I think if I have any more stuff that's like short films, dances, I put Liquid Feet dances up on DaveChild.com, any future podcasts or something, I tend to put them there. Yeah, I mean, well, if you, if you end up launching that podcast. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about on air about that. No, we was, haven't. Yeah, I was thinking about like a big reason why I wanted to do this was to see how it's done, because I want to start my own and I will eventually start my own podcast about specifically body image. 
talking about body image and other people's like how how they've incorporated it into their career into their lives and how they're using it because it's something that i have to face and i also want to talk about that idea of how to be healthy with also proud of your body Mm -hmm. and that back and forth that has to happen during that so yeah well wonderful i think it's going to be called strange bodies i like it Thank you. <laughs> well, keep keep track of DaveChow.com and at MRDaveChow on Twitter to find no, out No, but you really should. You're a sweet, sweet boy, and Thank I appreciate you. what you do, man. Thank you. Thanks uh, for having me. Thanks for coming in today. Yeah. So you heard it there, folks. Another great episode of the Mansplain Yourself podcast. So here's something that I need you to do for Papa Bear. If you're an iTunes listener, I need you to go rate and review us, please. That really, really helps other people find the show. Because if you're enjoying it, then there are other people out there who have not yet heard it and to be able to enjoy it there we go that's how i wanted to say it <laughs> and if it. you're a soundcloud listener uh give it a boost share it you know send it over to somebody who also enjoys it um or you think would enjoy it a brother your dad an <laughs> uncle you know maybe your sister like anybody who can can glean something from any of these episodes and then last thing last two things if you want to throw us a buck please do our our paypal is at the bottom of each episode description these episodes are not free to produce so a dollar goes a long way per episode if you feel like if you're feeling generous and then last thing if you want to engage with us please do please do i love i love reading your comments i love interacting with y'all you are fantastic you can email us at mansplainyourselfpodcast at gmail.com or find us on social media using the hashtag mansplainyourself and until next week we'll see you then Thank you. Bye. Mansplain Yourself is produced by Dr. David Robinson at Heaping Teaspoon. Logo designed by Jorge Rivero. Music by Daniel Holter. Follow us on Instagram or on Twitter at Mansplain Yourself Pod. Mansplain Yourself.